Chapter 30 of Journey to the Center of the Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne. Chapter 30 Terrific Saurian Combat. Saturday, August 15th. The sea still retains its uniform monotony, the same leaden hue, the same eternal glare from above. No indication of land being in sight, the horizon appears to retreat before us, more and more as we advance. My head still dull and heavy from the effects of my extraordinary dream, which I cannot as yet banish from my mind. The professor, who has not dreamt, is, however, in one of his morose and unaccountable humours, spends his time in scanning the horizon at every point of the compass. His telescope is raised every moment to his eyes, and when he finds nothing to give any clue to our whereabouts, he assumes a Napoleonic attitude and walks anxiously. I remarked that my uncle, the professor, had a strong tendency to resume his old impatient character and I could not but make a note of this disagreeable circumstance in my journal. I saw clearly that it had required all the influence of my danger and suffering to extract from him one scintillation of human feeling. Now that I was quite recovered, his original nature had conquered and obtained the upper hand. And, after all, what had he to be angry and annoyed about? now more than at any other time. Was not the journey being accomplished under the most favourable circumstances? Was not the raft progressing with the most marvellous rapidity? What then could be the matter? After one or two preliminary hymns, I determined to inquire. "'You seem uneasy, uncle,' said I, when for about the hundredth time he put down his telescope and walked up and down, muttering to himself. "'No, I'm not uneasy,' he replied in a dry, harsh tone. "'By no means.' "'Perhaps I should have said impatient,' I replied, softening the force of my remark. "'Enough to make me so, I think.' "'And yet we are advancing at a rate seldom attained by raft,' I remarked. "'What matters that?' cried my uncle. "'I'm not vexed at the rate we go at but i am annoyed to find the sea so much vaster than i expected i then recollected that the professor before our departure had estimated the length of this subterranean ocean as at most about thirty leagues now we had travelled at least over thrice that distance without discovering any trace of the distant shore i began to understand my uncle's anger we are not going down suddenly exclaimed the professor we are not progressing with our great discoveries. All this is utter loss of time. After all, I did not come from home to undertake a party of pleasure. This voyage on a raft over a pond annoys and wearies me. He called this adventurous journey a party of pleasure, and this great inland sea a pond. But, argued I, if we have followed the route indicated by the great Sacnusum, we cannot be in going far wrong. 
that is the question as the great immortal shakespeare has it are we following the route indicated by that wondrous sage did Sacnosum ever fall in with this great sheet of water if he did did he cross it i begin to fear that the rivulet we adopted for a guide has led us wrong in any case we can never regret having come thus far it is worth the whole journey to have enjoyed this magnificent spectacle it is something to have seen i care nothing about seeing nor about magnificent spectacles i came down into the interior of the earth with an object and that object i mean to attain don't talk to me about admiring scenery or any other sentimental thrash after this i thought it well to hold my tongue and allow the professor to bite his lips until the blood came without further remark at six o'clock in the evening our matter-of-fact guide hans asked for his week's salary and receiving his three rix dollars put them carefully in his pocket he was perfectly contented and satisfied sunday august sixteenth nothing new to record the same weather as before the wind has a slight tendency to freshen up with signs of an approaching gale when i awoke my first observation was in regard to the intensity of the light i keep on fearing day after day that the extraordinary electric phenomenon should become first obscured and then go fully out leaving us in total darkness nothing however of the kind occurs the shadow of the raft its mast and sails is clearly distinguished on the surface of the water this wondrous sea is after all infinite in its extent it must be quite as wide as the mediterranean or perhaps even as the great atlantic ocean why after all should it not be so my uncle has on more than one occasion tried deep-sea soundings he tied the cross of one of our heaviest crowbars to the extremity of a cord which he allowed to run out to the extent of two hundred fathoms we had the greatest difficulty in hoisting in our novel kind of lead when the crowbar was finally dragged on board hans called my attention to some singular marks upon its surface the piece of iron looked as if it had been crushed between two very hard substances i looked at our worthy guide with an inquiring glance tender said he of course i was at a loss to understand i turned round towards my uncle absorbed in gloomy reflections i had little wish to disturb him from his reverie i accordingly turned once more towards our worthy icelander hans very quietly and significantly opened his mouth once or twice as if in the act of biting and in this way made me understand his meaning teeth cried i with stupefaction as i examined the bar of iron with more attention yes there can be no doubt about the matter the indentations on the bar of iron are the marks of teeth what yours must the owner of such molars be possessed of have we then come upon a monster of unknown species which still exists within the vast waste of waters a monster more voracious than a shark more terrible and bulky than the whale i am unable to withdraw my eyes from the bar of iron actually half crushed is then my dream about to come true 
a dread and terrible reality all day my thoughts were bent upon these speculations and my imagination scarcely regained a degree of calmness and power of reflection until after a sleep of many hours this day as on other sundays we observed as a day of rest and pious meditation monday august seventeenth i have been trying to realize from memory the particular instincts of those antediluvian animals of the secondary period which succeeding to the mollusca to the crustacea and to the fish preceded the appearance of the race of mammifers the generation of reptiles then reigned supreme upon the earth these hideous monsters ruled everything in the seas of the secondary period which formed the strata of which the jura mountains are composed nature had endowed them with perfect organization what a gigantic structure was theirs what vast and prodigious strength they possessed the existing saurians which include all such reptiles as lizards crocodiles and alligators even the largest and most formidable of their class are but feeble imitations of their mighty sires the animals of ages long ago if there were giants in the days of old there were also gigantic animals i shuddered as i evolved from my mind the idea and recollection of these awful monsters no eye of man had seen them in the flesh they took their walks abroad upon the face of the earth thousands of ages before man came into existence and their fossil bones discovered in the limestone have allowed us to reconstruct them anatomically and thus to get some faint idea of their colossal formation i recollect one seeing in the great museum of hamburg the skeleton of one of these wonderful saurians it measured no less than thirty feet from the nose to the tail am i then an inhabitant of the earth of the present day destined to find myself face to face with a representative of this antediluvian family i can scarcely believe it possible i can hardly believe it true and yet these marks of powerful teeth upon the bar of iron can there be a doubt from their shape that the bite is the bite of a crocodile my eyes stare wildly and with terror upon the subterranean sea every moment i expect one of these monsters to rise from its vast cavernous depth i fancy that the worthy professor in some measure shares my notions if not my fears for after an attentive examination of the crowbar he cast his eyes rapidly over the mighty and mysterious ocean what could possess him to leave the land i thought as if the depth of this water was of any importance to us no doubt he has disturbed some terrible monster in his watery home and perhaps we may pay dearly for our temerity anxious to be prepared for the worst i examined our weapons and saw that they were in a fit state for use my uncle looked on at me and nodded his head approvingly he too has noticed what we have to fear already the uplifting of the waters on the surface indicates that something is in motion below the danger approaches it comes nearer and nearer 
it behooves us to be on the watch tuesday august eighteenth evening came at last the hour when the desire for sleep caused our eyelids to be heavy night there is not properly speaking in this place any more than there is in summer in the arctic regions hans however is immovable at the rudder when he snatches a moment of rest i really cannot say i take advantage of his vigilance to take some little repose but two hours after i was awakened from a heavy sleep by an awful shock the raft appeared to have struck upon a sunken rock it was lifted right out of the water by some wondrous and mysterious power and then started off twenty fathoms distant eh what is it cried my uncle starting up are we shipwrecked or what hans raised his hand and pointed to where about two hundred yards off a large black mass was moving up and down i looked with ave my worst fears were realized it is a colossal monster i cried clasping my hands yes cried the agitated professor and there yonder is a huge sea lizard of terrible size and shape and farther on behold a prodigious crocodile look at his hideous jaws and that row of monstrous teeth ha he has gone a whale a whale shouted the professor i can see her enormous fins see see how she blows air and water two liquid columns rose to a vast height above the level of the sea into which they fell with a terrific crash waking up the echoes of that awful place we stood still surprised stupefied terror-stricken at the sight of this group of fearful marine monsters more hideous in the reality than in my dream they were of supernatural dimensions the very smallest of the whole party could with ease have crushed our raft and ourselves with a single bite hans seizing the rudder which had flown out of his hand puts it hard weather in order to escape from such dangerous vicinity but no sooner does he do so than he finds he is flying from scylla to charybdis to leeward is a turtle about forty feet wide and a serpent quite as long with an enormous and hideous head peering from out of the waters look which way we will it is impossible for us to fly the fearful reptiles advanced upon us they turned and twisted about the raft with awful rapidity they formed around our devoted vessel a series of concentric circles i took up my rifle in desperation but what effect can a rifle ball produce upon the armor scales with which these bodies of these horrid monsters are covered we remain still and dumb from utter horror they advance upon us nearer and nearer our fate appears certain fearful and terrible on one side the mighty crocodile on the other the great sea serpent the rest of the fearful crowd of marine prodigies have plunged beneath the briny waves and disappeared i am about to fire at any risk and try the effect of a shot hans the guide however interfered by a sign to check me the two hideous and ravenous monsters passed within fifty fathoms of the raft and then made a rush at one another 
their fury and rage preventing them from seeing us. The combat commenced. We distinctly made out every action of the two hideous monsters. But, to my excited imagination, the other animals appeared about to take part in the fierce and deadly struggle. The monster, the whale, the lizard, and the turtle. I distinctly saw them every moment. I pointed them out to the Icelander, but he only shook his head. Tvo, he said. What? Two only, does he say? Surely he is mistaken, I cried in a tone of wonder. He is quite right, replied my uncle coolly and philosophically, examining the terrible duel with his telescope, and speaking as if he were in a lecture-room. How can that be? Yes, it is so. The first of these hideous monsters has the snout of a porpoise, the head of a lizard, the teeth of a crocodile, and it is this that has deceived us. It is the most fearful of all antediluvian reptiles, the world-renowned Ichthyosaurus, or great fish-lizard. And the other? The other is a monstrous serpent, concealed under the hard vaulted shell of the turtle, the terrible enemy of its fearful rival, the Plesiosaurus, or sea-crocodile. Hans was quite right. The two monsters only disturbed the surface of the sea. At last have mortal eyes gazed upon two reptiles of the great primitive ocean. I see the flaming red eyes of the Ichthyosaurus, each as big or bigger than a man's head. Nature, in its infinite wisdom, had gifted this wondrous marine animal with an optical apparatus of extreme power, capable of resisting the pressure of the heavy layers of water which rolled over him in the depths of the ocean where he usually fed it has by some authors truly been called the whale of the saurian race for it is as big and quick in its motions as our king of the seas this one measures not less than a hundred feet in length and i can form some idea of his girth when i see him lift his prodigious tail out of the waters his jaw is of awful size and strength, and according to the best-informed naturalists, it does not contain less than a hundred and eighty-two teeth. The other was the mighty Plesiosaurus, a serpent with a cylindrical trunk, with a short stumpy tail, with fins like a bank of oars in a Roman galley. Its whole body covered by a carapace or shell, and its neck, as flexible as that of a swan, rose more than thirty feet above the waves, a tower of animated flesh. These animals attacked one another with inconceivable fury. Such a combat was never seen before by mortal eyes, and to us who did see it, it appeared more like the phantasmagoric creation of a dream than anything else. They raised mountains of water, which dashed in spray over the raft, already tossed to and fro by the waves twenty times we seemed on the point of being upset and hurled headlong into the waves hideous hisses appeared to shake the gloomy granite roof of that mighty cavern hisses which carried terror to our hearts the awful combatants held each other in a tight embrace i could not make out one from the other 
still the combat could not last for ever and woe unto us whichsoever became the victor one hour two hours three hours passed away without any decisive result the struggle continued with the same deadly tenacity but without apparent result the deadly opponents now approached now drew away from the raft once or twice we fancied they were about to leave us altogether but instead of that they came nearer and nearer we crouched on the raft ready to fire at them at a moment's notice poor as the prospect of hurting or terrifying them was still we were determined not to perish without a struggle suddenly the ichthyosaurus and the plesiosaurus disappeared beneath the waves leaving behind them a maelstrom in the midst of the sea we were nearly drawn down by the indraft of the water several minutes elapsed before anything was again seen was this wonderful combat to end in the depth of the ocean was the last act of this terrible drama to take place without spectators it was impossible for us to say suddenly at no great distance from us an enormous mass rises out of the waters the head of the great plesiosaurus the terrible monster is now wounded unto death i can see nothing now of his enormous body all that could be distinguished was his serpent-like neck which he twisted and curled in all the agonies of death now he struck the waters with it as if it had been a gigantic whip and then again wriggled like a worm cut in two the water was spurted up to a great distance in all directions a great portion of it swept over our raft and nearly blinded us but soon the end of the beast approached nearer and nearer his movements slackened visibly his contortions almost ceased and at last the body of the mighty snake lay an inert dead mass on the surface of the now calm and placid waters as for the ichthyosaurus had he gone down to his mighty cavern under the sea to rest or will he reappear to destroy us this question remained unanswered and we had breathing time End of chapter 30 Read by Lars Rolander